Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, well, hello, everyone. It's Paul Gerard. This is my first official podcast that I'm doing by myself. You may have seen the one I did uh, a couple weeks ago with Roman. Uh, he has entrusted me somehow to maybe do my own podcast. And so okay. the moment I got word that this was going to be cool and I was going to get to do this, <laughs> I'm like, who should I call? And actually, strangely enough, my phone rang. I didn't even have to call him. But sitting next to me, to my right, to your left, is, is first of all, uh, a legend in the motorsports world, but but to me, a true friend and someone and a mentor that's really helped me a lot yeah. uh, throughout my career. And um, I've stayed in touch with him for a very long time. If you don't recognize him, this is Steve Dynan. Hello, everybody. Nice to be here. Paul's a great friend. I've known him since, God, it was uh, One Lap of America in 1990. Yeah, it would have been like the late 90s. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. He was driving a. Rentec Mercedes, and I was driving a Dynan, Dynan BMW. And BMW we, versus Mercedes. I think we both won our class. We were in two different classes, right? Yeah, I think we both won. Yeah, and yeah. and that's where it all. That's kind of where it all began. And yeah. um, Steve has been, you know, racing his entire life. And you can you can you know take this and run with it at any point as as I'm sort of giving you this intro. But he's been racing his whole life. Um, he, of course, is is best known for his last name being attached as a nameplate on the back of BMWs for many, many years, where it was something you could order from a dealership. You go in and get a Dynan BMW, which is an incredibly rare thing yeah. with any manufacturer to have that sort of trust in a, a private individual or tuning company. And you had that relationship with those guys for a really long time. Still exists, actually, today. The, I, I sold Dynan uh, 10 years ago now, uh, 2013, and... Uh, Holly Carburetor bought it. Actually, owns Dynan now, and it's and they've combined it with APR Audi Volkswagen Tuner out of Alabama. So that's where it's being run out of now. Uh, and they're still selling product out of dealerships. And my new company, Carbon, which I started uh, a few years ago, is also selling products out of dealerships. So I still have that relationship with BMW. But now we're doing BMW, Mercedes, Porsche, and Audi. That's cool. Parts, and so. where 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 are the Carbon locations? Uh, well, we're up to 95 new car dealerships around the country, but the corporate headquarters is here in Centennial, okay. Colorado, and I still have a research facility in San Jose, okay, which does engine calibrations because I need the barometric pressure from sea level. Uh, <laughs> and then I have an engine rebuild shop up in Mount View where I build racing and streetcar engines. So I have uh, three divisions plus a uh, racing team. Right, and then uh, the, ni the 95 dealers, how does that work? Is that similar to Dynan in the it's past? similar to Dynan, yeah. They, we, we go to a new car dealership. We ask if they'd like to be a Carbon dealer. They oh, okay. say yes. Most of them are old Dynan dealers. Uh, my old company is, is not kept up with uh, customer service. One of my claim to fame was I always made good, good quality product, and, and, but uh, I also had a factory matching warranty, and the, the product was emissions legal, and when you had a problem, you called someone, answered the phone, and we took care of it for you. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> wow. That's the good old days. I know. It's Does so that happen today? <laughs> so we still have customer support in the United States, in Denver, actually, okay. in Centennial, and people answer the phone, and if you have a problem, we get it taken care of. And So, you know, most of the dealers came back to me 
when after I sold Dynan because Dynan wasn't what Dynan used to be. It was right. It's, it's, it's <laughs> frankly it was you, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was kind a lot more than me. I had yeah. seventy-two employees and a lot of great employees, and it was a really well-run company. And yeah. We we have the theory that if you buy a premium quality product, it should come with premium customer service. It's kind of yeah. a B and W philosophy, kind of a German philosophy, honestly. And, yeah. Uh, it, it's surprising how many people in the aftermarket don't don't adhere to that policy. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you kind of get, you know, everyone who's ever tried to modify a car probably at some point has gone to, um, you know, seen the premium version and, and seen something else that's cheaper and got burned by that cheaper thing yeah. uh, when it doesn't quite fit right or it doesn't perform as well as it's supposed to or, yeah. or the support is, as you yeah. mentioned. And it's, it's actually there, bad for business things. because so many people in the aftermarket uh, make poor quality product and somebody modifies their car and it breaks. And we have a joke inside of Dynan, which we now have in Carbon, which is everybody else's warranty. If it breaks, you get both pieces. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something. That's a different level of customer yes, support. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so what they mostly do is they you typically wash their hands and blame the customer or something the customer did to the car. And, yeah. And you get stuck buying a new engine for your brand new $100,000, $200,000 car. Car, uh, which is you know these days it's crazy thousand dollars yeah, right it's crazy yeah yeah so we don't do that we don't we don't have to pay for that much because we do a lot of you know due diligence on the durability yeah. of the product and that's kind of but, the how the racing has the mentality and all the racing you've done through your whole life that's that's the to me in all the stuff I do of course with so many different aftermarket entities that I've been involved with for so many years doing all the things I've done. But that's the thing is like the, the folks that are racing and then the higher up categories they're racing in and the more success they have, it's it's no coincidence that they make the best products. Yes. Because you get that mentality in racing. Racing doesn't suffer fools. No. And, and, I mean, not at all. Like, no. you you know, you see people that come in with money but have no competence and they're gone yeah. by the end of that year and have yeah. burned through a stack of cash. Yeah. It's easy and to do. <laughs> it's really easy to do. Yeah. And, and that's the thing about racing is... You're only as good as your last race, as the saying goes, and so you're you're basically you're in the crucible every race weekend, yep. and your reputation is on the line every weekend. And I think the mentality that comes out of that is very different than the smoke and mirrors world of the aftermarket, where yes. where they don't have to necessarily live up to any performance claims other than cheating the dyno numbers up yeah. by you know changing the you know, the compensation for whatever and, and getting a higher number than it ought to get. I mean, that's the norm in the aftermarket versus someone who races yeah. for a living, you know, yes. where, where your results are based on crossing and getting a checkered flag before anyone else does. Yeah, that's I mean, what matters. The car has to be reliable, but it's, it's amazing the aftermarket doesn't seem to understand. Um, well, let's put it this way. Most of the aftermarket is good mechanics who like to tinker with cars, not necessarily having any real engineering expertise or any real yeah. uh, test equipment or laboratory, and they don't really do proper validation durability testing like an OEM do, right. does. We, we do. We, it takes us 18 months to develop a product. Uh, typically, two or three months after a new car comes out, there's already a product being sold, and I'm still taking it apart and measuring it. Yeah. And I, and I, and I haven't even figured out what I want to do yet or have figured out where the weak points in the car are, and they're already selling stuff. Yeah, uh, with no testing and no yeah. validation, and that's know. that's the norm. You're the exception. I mean, in, in a lot of cases, I mean, there's yeah. there's a few that do it right, and as I suggest, I think all of them also yeah. race professionally. Yes, those are the ones that do it correctly. Yeah, um, and that makes a difference. And what I wanted to do, uh, as far as this is probably be two episodes, by the way, is to talk this time about what makes a car good. Sure. And then the the next episode, which will come in at some point, 
um, after the first one lands. I want to talk about a driver and what makes a driver good, and then I want to put them both together. Sure, let's do it. Because I think that's neat, and I I don't think that's really been talked about very much, and that's like kind of like me writing Optimum Drive was a a driving book about the difference between good and great. I was kind of tired of reading How to Become Competent. I'm like, that's not interesting. How do you go beyond competency? What makes a driver or a chassis of a car great? Because there's so few great ones. There's a lot of good stuff. Yes, but no one. See, you're, you smile yes. at the well, great I theory, stuff. I have a theory about race cars. So, so. Well, that I. <laughs> so I we can't wait to hear it. Bad. It's just the good ones handle bad at a higher speed. <laughs> now that's an engineer. That's job security in a, in a, in a soundbite. <laughs> because at some point, when you really push any machine to its limit, it will, yeah. it will complain and do yeah. things. I mean, that's all we do. It will we do, do less things that you don't want it to do, but it will still do some things you don't want it to do. It's just they do it at a higher speed. So that's that's kind of a that's that's a fun concept because let's let's think about let's think about this like a. Think about it, like different, differentiate it from like a rocket or an aircraft where they have very, very high performance, mm-hmm. but they're not designed to operate at their limits. They're like not. they'll always have a safety buffer there. So this is a kind of, I think this is a cool point. You made me just think of that we can, <laughs> that I, I think you'll, you'll, it's, it's true though. It's what make, makes racing so cool is that we are always operating at the vehicle's limit because yes. it's competitive. So it makes it unique. So so you could say a fighter pilot in that moment of a dogfight might operate at their human limit, risking blacking out to turn faster yeah. than the than the person sure. they're trying to shoot down, you know, before it gets their, you know, them lined up and fighter so on and so forth. Would be the other exception. Yeah, they're the like other exception. Cars, but they yes. don't actually get to use them all the time at the limit yeah. because it's too expensive to do that and they don't want to stress the airframes. Yeah. And so I I've I've actually hung out with an F-22 squadron in Alaska, to, thanks to my buddy Chris Posell. Shout out, Chris. Um, when I was up there, and, and they were all complaining because they never get to fly the planes at the limit. Yes. And, uh, and I was just like, and so they were telling me how racing's cooler. And so I tell people that all the time yeah. because we're always operating at the limit. And so, and, and it, so that's to Steve's point where he says that they all, they all handle well up to a point or they all handle poor because it, it, we're, you're doing this constant game of finding more performance, finding more efficiency from the car. Yes. Now, whether that is grip level, whether that is friction reduction somewhere, you, you know, whether it's aero friction or engine friction yes. or, or gearbox or drivetrain or whatever it is. or So your brakes don't drag like they used to do in Indy and they'd pack the pads out so they didn't actually touch. You know, and you hit the brakes coming into pit lane and they didn't work for a while. You know, so there's like, there's all of that in racing where, where we're on the ragged edge all the time. All the time. And I think that, that to me is like the coolest part about yes. it, right? Because there's not a lot like that, especially with that kind of complex a machine. Yes. I could say that about a ski racer in a downhill going for, for, you know, a gold medal in the Olympics. They are on the ragged edge for that whole run. Yes. You know, like they are. That's absolutely true. And that's true of a lot of athletes. They're, they're running as fast as they can. They're kayaking as fast as they can. They're doing everything yes. but the as machine well. Is not as but the machine yeah. is not like a car. Yes. Like that, that's the thing that's cool. It's, it's complex. It's got thousands of parts in it. Yep. You know, hundreds of them contribute to the handling of the car and whether you like driving it or not. Um, and they're getting more and more complex and more and more heavy. Yes. And, and, and that brings me to my next, second philosophy about go. race cars. There's, there's no one magic bullet. People always come to me and say, what do I put what oh, always. on my shocks? They say that about yeah. driving, too. Yeah. What's and, the one uh, thing I can do to drive better? Yeah. Everything. And what I always tell them is, you know, 
there's a hundred things worth a hundredth of a second a lap, and that's why your car is a second faster than it. somebody else's car. Because, and maybe there's a thousand things worth a thousandth of a second a lap. But the point is, there's not one thing that's going to make your car go fast. So that that to <laughs> me is like that differenti differentiation between good and great in a lot of ways, where where everyone will go, you know, because the, the quick thing to do is to get your car to a some level, and you put everything you've gone into it. And then assume the other guy's cheating or he's outspending you, right? I Everybody mean, always assumes that. that yeah. So, so you go there and then and then you kind of plateau because you're like, well, we don't have that kind of money or we don't have that kind of resources. But to your point, it's a thousand things worth a thousandth of a second. Yes. So they could go do that if they wanted to put in the work. Yes. They could go find it. They could they could do their research. Most importantly, they could do testing where they could isolate those things. Yes. You know, not like on a race weekend, right? All oh, testing's illegal now, though. Yeah, so in so most series is, and and by the way, that the faster the race car, the more high end the series is. Like Indy cars and Formula One, NASCAR, the less cheating there is. Most people think it's the other way around because there's so much scrutinizing when you get to that level. Yeah, everybody pushes the envelope on the rules. Everybody gray works areas on the and gray things areas. like that. Yes. Yeah. yes, but but honestly. The, the people I've seen cheat the most in motorsport, and I started in club racing in 1980. It was uh, you in club it, racing. It was, no, I had a completely illegal car, but, but back in those days, you I could try to build anything, you know? <laughs> oh, like uh, a 1,000 horsepower World uh, Challenge BMW, yeah, for something example? like that, yeah. Which Steve had and won with. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, basically the, the difference is, is that all those little things add up. They really yeah. Matter. So that I mean, I in think fact, that's the that, bottom line. My first line. race car was my great example of that I, I took a year and a half to build my first GT3 SCCA club car in 1980. Um, and it, I got really carried away. I spent $80,000 on an SCCA GT3 car in 1980. I think your average car was like 10 or 15 yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was like a lemons car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I unloaded and qualified second in my first race. I'd never raced before. And, and I was a decent driver, but the car was really good. Just ripped. <laughs> yeah. It was really good. We'll take it. I, th I think that's the thing. I know some guys like that currently in SCCA, and it, it's a cool group of guys. And um, they're, one of the guys is an is engineer on the Pikes Peak car that I do. But he's this group of engineers that are out in St. Louis, and they're all retired aerospace guys. And so they're, they run this Golf that won the SCCA National Championship last year. But, oh, my God, it sounds like your car. Yeah. It is so meticulously maintained, yes. and there is no thousands left yeah, behind yeah, on that yeah. car. And and it's like it looks like a bone stock car, but it yeah. just the thing just rips. You know, and so I, I, that, that's it. And it comes down to attention to detail. That comes down to, you know, it's not like, you know, practice makes perfect. It's the old, pra you know, perfect practice makes perfect. Yes. So you have to have the, the head on your shoulders to find the thousandth yes. and, and be able to go – that's how we did that. All right, let's move on to the next thousands and, and, be able, and then be able to put it all together in a car that a driver would like to drive. And by the way, if the, the real compliment, I think, as a car engineer, race car engineer, is if they change the rules for you. Yes. Because if you're very clever, um, you read between the lines, you do something that's not technically illegal, but they never expected anyone to yes. do, and then they write a new rule for it. And my very first race car in 1980, they wrote a rule and it, they changed the rule book the second time I raced the car because I showed up with something they'd never thought of before. Uh, and it was really clever. I thought I took the uh, rear disc brakes because independent rear suspension. Mm -hmm. I mounted them on the differential inboard like an old F1 car. Right. To reduce the unsprung weight. There you go. So I showed up the race and they were doing their technical inspection, the stamping, the roll cage and drilling at the measure, the tubing and everything like they used to in the old days, yep. right? Because there weren't factory race cars. So you had to certify the car and give you a log book, right? And the guy opened the trunk and he saw the brake test. He said, you can't do that. And I said, well, let's read the rule book together. So he opens the rule book. It says, brakes unlimited. 
I said, what do I not understand about that <laughs> phrase? <laughs> he goes, well, that's not what we had in mind. So two weeks later, I got a letter yeah. from the SECA in Colorado, where their yeah. headquarters is. It says, breaks are open, but must remain in the original location. Bam. <laughs> Steve Dynan's first rule. I've had quite a few written for me <laughs> over the rules. The Ganassi, you knew you were going places. <laughs> yeah. So the Ganassi guys I used to work with a lot, too. Uh, in Grand Am uh, prototype racing, they had a few rules written for them when I yeah. was with them as well, too. So you know when you have really smart people is that they have rules written for them. Yes. And that's yeah. how you can tell. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. That's why a rule book will grow over over time, of course, because they just, yeah. you know, yeah. again, no, they don't really have necessarily that most vivid imagination. They just see what people bring to them. You think of the smoky yes. eunuchs of the world and people yeah. that are famous for, you know, the 7-8 scale, you know, cup car and all of that kind of stuff but uh that wasn't against the rule it wasn't against the rule for that yeah exactly (laughs) then the templates became a thing right i think that's when templates happened is when they built a scale car so and the nitrous oxide in the uh in the radiator tank or in the roll cage tubing pressurized full of nitrous you know and running through the you know through the uh the radiator hose going into the intake and then going into the intake yeah. You know, drilling out. So I mean, there's so so many. Oh, oh, the the cool one was the Toyota uh, WRC one, yeah. where they had the the air intake restrictor. Now that was actually cheating. That wasn't creative interpretation well, of the rules. Yeah, that was cheating. <laughs> I remember that one. That was very I, cleverly I've crossed done. crossed a line with my storytelling. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well, it was actually an insider job. It was a disgruntled person that had been fired that warned the FIA, like told them, by the way, they have this. Yeah. Because they had inspected the thing for like two years and had never found it. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. that's the always the, how you get caught. Yeah. Yeah. Disgruntled. It's yeah. the disgruntled place. Yeah. Hold them sexually by. Give them. Give them a golden parachute, then fire them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want them disgruntled or uh, promote them. Yeah. <laughs> that works too. Yeah. <laughs> so so, you've been racing forever. Um, you've you've done really really well. He's helped me a ton. Forty third uh, year. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, <laughs> I remember the first time I brought Steve in. It was was I was in World Challenge in a brand new car. Um, that had been designed by Volvo, um, well, actually by someone here uh, in in Colorado, uh, Claude Ruel designed the car. Yeah, and, neat uh, car. Yeah, really it was a neat really car. neat car. Had a lot of little problems that weren't really sorted out. Yeah. But what a cool concept. Yeah, it was a cool, cool car. And, and I remember, you know, bringing Steve in because I knew him from um, – you know, from from the stuff we had done in the past with with um, One Lap America and whatever, and and uh, we were kind of struggling with the handling car, trying to develop it. And they're like, "Who would you bring in?" And I'm like, "There's one person I'd like to bring in." Yeah. And and we did that one day. It was actually Chris, I believe. Yeah, it was remote control. Yeah, it was remote control. It wasn't even Steve. He didn't, he didn't have the decency to show well, up. I was very busy, so I very sent my crew busy. chief along, and he would call me up and tell me what the car was doing, and I would tell him to change over the phone. And guess what? The car just went faster every session. Yeah. And by the end of the day, okay. So I have to say this, I crashed the car at the end of the day, the very last lap, well, obviously, uh, but it wasn't me. It was a hub failed on the yeah, car, yeah. and they that's something that ended up, problems that yeah, it ended yeah. up being a real issue. We were using a Daytona prototype hub, and it failed um, in a very fast corner, and I went into the wall and kind of took off the, really the biggest crash I've ever had, to be honest. It wasn't that big, but, um, but up until that point, the laps we were doing right up until that moment um, were quicker than what the Porsches were doing in World Challenge that were dominating at that yeah. at that moment in time. So we were we were something like half a second quicker than those Porsches yeah. were when they had come and tested at Summit well, Point. Think we made the car so the car was yeah the car day, was right? yeah so bam you like you can't you know you can't ever complain about <laughs> ever making a car faster let alone that much faster let alone faster than the front running cars in your championship in a yeah. new car. And, and that car did go on, you know, through its very various iterations. It went on yeah. to win championships and yeah. world challenge. Um, 
And then I, I got uh, a BMW um, yeah. you know, deal going with a small team, RRT, based out of Dullis, uh, Virginia. And, and by the way, they're still a dealer of mine, RRT. Yeah, there you go. They, and they the still other, sell like my good, streetcar good parts. Good friends, yeah. Yeah, people, yeah really, really good people. people. Matt there and James, yep. And um, so... Like he was a VIR last week when I was there racing. Oh, that's cool. He came by and said hi. We had lunch. I love that. See, I love that. That's what's <laughs> great about motorsports, and that's the other thing. You know, he's a good guy because he doesn't burn bridges, right? People, yeah. people stick with him because you do good work. People, people never leave motorsports. That's the other they, thing. Yeah, we only we only ever exchange teams, <laughs> and then we say hello at passing or at hospitality. Yeah, or you something go, like you that. go in the paddock, and I've, I've, this is my forty third year, and I. Hundreds of people every week, and walk by and say hi, and half of them I don't even know their name because I met at some point, but I forgot. Yeah. Right? And yeah. My wife always walking with me. She goes, "Who's that a guy?" And she goes, "You have like you know." So I'm just trying to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> I just say hi back. How you doing? Yeah. You're like, like everyone okay. looks familiar, but and then sometimes a half an hour later, the name will pop into yeah. my head, and I'll remember who it yeah. is. But yeah. yeah, but there's look. You've one, got one, nine car got... setups going on in your head at any given moment. You can forget <laughs> a name or two, at least. Well, I mean, if you really like car racing, once you do it, you can't stop you, you can't it's, it's it's the best it's the best addiction there is you know yeah. as far as being a legal thing you can yeah. do and it's amazing so yeah. so let's so so then you came out we worked together for for a couple of years actually yeah. on that bmw team yeah. and that was a lot of fun the That's owners bad. were crazy yeah um we had to go through a lot of you know which happens a lot in racing yeah, level five anyone anyway um <laughs> oh there's that one too yeah. so so that so that's also so but then, but the whole time, you also had your own consulting stuff going in racing. You're building products for street cars. And then, and then you, you know, kind of with the Carbon thing, you decide to go full-on racing again, yes. right, with Peregrine Racing. Yes. And, um, and that was pretty cool. Uh, good friends of mine driving with uh, Jeff Westfall and yeah, Tyler McQuarrie yeah. in the time. Great guys. And uh, Jeff's still driving for you to he this day. Is. He works for me now. He Super guy. Here. Looks like David Beckham. Yeah. Really makes me mad. Even Very, his T-shirt says, "I'm not David." I'm Beckham. not David Beckham T-shirt, <laughs> and uh, and Jeff has a great history. And actually, what's really cool about that is, I, you know, like from so so Steve was in San Jose, uh, California. That's where Diana is, just south of there, Morgan Hill, right? Yeah. And um, and I was running the Jim Russell School, which is up in Sonoma, one of Steve's favorite racetracks. I was just there three days ago. I was there for ten days. I'm in Sonoma all the time because it's just the best track and one of the most beautiful parts of the country. Yeah. You can't go wrong. And Wish um, pave it. Well, it's about 10 years overdue of being paid. Yeah, right? I only noticed that in the wet. Like in the wet, oh dear lord, is it is it slippery? But it's still it's still fun, yeah, so and it's not horribly bumpy. You know, so very, no, it, very low grip though. Very low and, grip. And it's a yeah. very pronounced rain line. Very, yeah, like in the grass. It's, it's more right. grip in the grass. As far as you can more get, grip not in the, leave the road. Find the gravel. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, or it'll find you. But uh, so so. With all that, like, so all this is sort of going on simultaneously. And so Jeff and Tyler were instructors of mine um, at the Jim Russell School there. So that was kind of cool how it all serendipitously sort of came together, right? I went to Russell School at Laguna Sega before it moved yeah. to Sonoma. When I mean, Bondra was at Sonoma, that was nineteen. They did the switch, which they, you know, yeah. did a few times. And yeah. So, so that's kind of how all that came together. And then, so with Carbon, as we talked about Carbon, um, you know, basically your, your, your second iteration of your own yep. tuning business yep. and doing, doing really well. And the nice thing now is it's not exclusive to uh, BMWs, it, it, though you yeah. brought a rather cool BMW I here. I did. I, I wanted to change, so I, I thought it was... Uh less expensive to tune other cars than it was to get a new wife. So I kept the wife I've had for 48 years. I'm doing the math. <laughs> it's a great woman. And I decided to get a different car. Very tolerant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
very tolerant. <laughs> as, yeah, you know, by the end of this, if you haven't figured it out right now, we both have really tolerant wives. I have an exceptional wife. She's yeah, uh, same here. I, I did a startup at sixty nine. The new company. Right. And she goes, you're doing what? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we supposed to be retiring? Yeah. Well, that's what, that was her theory. We were supposed to retire. And I tried it. I yeah. really did. I tried it for a few months, but it just wasn't me. Yeah. I decided I'm going to be happy working until the day before they put me in the ground. That's okay. As long yeah. as somebody will still have me and want me to do something. Yeah. I'm happy to come help. Because what are you going to do, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're, sit around the couch. You're, and... that, your mind goes a mile a minute. It's not going to yeah. put up with that for very long. I, you can see me. I can't even sit down for no. 10 minutes. No. This is a well, minor yeah. miracle right <laughs> like, now. Yeah. Just by letting him talk nonstop that yeah. this is happening. Yeah. But, um, I have so, ADHD ever since I was a little kid. They yeah. didn't diagnose it back then. They didn't give you Ritalin either. I was just a discipline problem when I was six. You still are. <laughs> Yes. Still. <laughs> Only on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That's a whole other podcast that we could do. <laughs> gotcha. I went motorcycle riding with Paul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I vividly remember, like vivid being the operative word, when you have 200 mile an hour bikes and the guy insists on making sure we know that yeah. on a back road. Um, country so, roads, yes. Yeah. In, in a different country, of course. Uh, yeah, that. It was all legal. Yes. So, uh, so let's get back to Carbon for a second. So you, you, came, you showed up with a M850 competition, M8, M8 competition Comp, yeah. that, that you've tuned Yep. and stock horsepower. And what does it make now? Uh, 607 horsepower stock. It's making 880 now. Um, it has a uh, suspension wheels, tires, um, software, intercoolers, heat exchangers, engine covers. And we're just now completed titanium exhaust, which is not on a car yet. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So it's making that horsepower with the stock exhaust. Yeah, but the exhaust doesn't do anything anymore because the, the turbines and the turbocharger are so small, the back pressure is so great that nothing downstream does anything. This is what cracks me up. If you go onto the forums, people are always ripping off the cowling burst, putting a downpipe something that's worth a huge amount of power. We did a back-to-back -back test on our dynamometer, and it's 11 rubble horsepower moving cattling converter from a car, but it makes right. about 100 times more pollution. Yeah, yeah. And in case you all haven't noticed, the planet's dying. Yeah. And, and so to me, for 11, when you've got 880 horsepower, do we really need 891 to be completely yeah. responsible as a human being? I mean, I'm beginning preaching now, I apologize, but <laughs> but I don't understand. Yeah. I like to go well, fast, I don't I, understand. I think, I think <clears throat> you know, not running the cat is easy horsepower, you're doing things. It's 11. I know, but it's, uh, for them, it's easy, for you, Tuning that engine to get to get that and then some is not again like we were talking about. Not every tuner can do that. So yeah. so that's the advantage. It maybe again you know, it, it speaks to your point of being a, a premium tuner. That's the thing is you're not circumventing anything to make this happen. No. The car's still legal, just like your dining cars yeah. were, which is why BMW allowed this to happen and why your 95 dealers yeah. 
allow it to happen right now. Yes. Right? And, and, and growing, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm just growing about 5% a month right now. <laughs> there actually. we go. Uh, if you lean up the mixture, they make the mixture rich to protect the catalytic converter. So if you lean up the mixture, it's worth another 12. So you can get 23 mm -hmm. out of it. You move the catalytic converter and lean up the mixture. Right. Uh, but I can add meth to it and make 1,000. And still get it with the, with, the stock, with the stock with the stock cat. And, and by the way, our emissions. race cars now have catalytic converters on them. All the factory right. race cars have catalytic converters on them. Now, they're not making that kind of power anymore. Race cars are detuned. But all I'm saying is, look, we can have fun and we can still be responsible human beings. Yeah, no, absolutely, right? no absolutely. Both, right? Well, yeah, I mean, responsible on the one side, but we can be irresponsible. Well, I'm not talking about driving. driving. <laughs> <laughs> on the racetrack, actually, we're always, you know, that's that's the place we're probably most responsible when we're when we're driving. So that's yeah. that's just really a joke. But yeah. so so um, doing the current cars. So here's what I really want to talk about now. Um, what makes let's let's think of this like in in a few different ways because what I want to do, like I said, I want to talk about. What makes a car good? And so, like, it's like simple things, like it's not heavy. Yes. Right? Uh, I say it starts out with balance. And you know, what's, you know what's interesting? Okay. Uh, I have a, we're starting two Audis now, and I have three new Audis. Okay. And I have a new Audi RS5, it has electric dampers on it, and they have comfort, balanced, and sport. And well, balanced is, is, is not balanced like you're thinking. Yeah, it is. Though. It's not an oversteer, understeer. No, no, I'm not talking about that kind of balance. Okay. It's, it's the shock absorber is matched to the spring. The sport yeah. damping is way too stiff. Yeah. The car bounces all over the road and actually goes faster in the middle shock setting. Sure. But every time I get in a customer's car, it's on it's full always, stiff. always. Always on full stiff. Maximum throttle so, opening. I mean, and so, and then you can't drive the car because it's bouncing over the road and the throttle's jerky. Yeah. And, and so... I, I'm not talking about under-service balance. I'm talking about not too much power, yeah. good handling, yes. good brakes. Okay. Good, I'm talking about a balanced package. I you're, like you're, that. You're thinking about understeer, oversteer. No, balance, no, no. And, that, and that's important too. And that's that, but that's also more important than anything yeah. else as well. So a balanced package would be um, kind of horsepower and grip. Yeah. That's kind of a fun thing to balance. Yep. And also arrow as well if the car had any. Yep. Um, and also horsepower, grip, and weight. You know, so like kind of like those things, if you get those numbers right, yeah. you have a you have a something something to work with there that's kind of fun. You know, it's talking about like everyone running their cars full stiff. I was just having that same conversation not more than an hour ago, helping my son change an alternator on his girlfriend's car, and we were tightening the belt. And, you know, and I'm like, You don't want the belt too loose. And he's like, So just crank it down? I'm like, No, you don't want the belt too tight either. <laughs> <laughs> and he's be balanced it needs to be the right tension because too tight is going to wreck the bearings and, and yeah. fail the belt early and so the, we, yeah we've seen this for decades you know everyone says the same thing about suspensions if the stock car must be too soft then that means i need to go stiffer if i want my car to handle well and if a little stiffness added to it is good then all the stiffness certainly must be better. And those are the cars we always drive that people set up really uh, poorly. They're horrible. Where they, they're usually the shock valving is advanced because they don't even know what a four-post shaker rig is. It's no, they, no, so, no so one the knows. So the shock valving is too, should be completely out to lunch and the springs yeah. are way too stiff. And, and the chassis can't take it anyway. So, no. so you, you bend up with, a, with the tire and the, and the chassis being yes. your suspension, basically like a go-kart. Yes. You basically eliminated the suspension from doing what it's supposed to do. And this is why you it's supposed to great do. drivers like you and, and, and Tyler and, and Jeff because, right. honestly, the fastest race car is the one that's the softest. Yeah. And then the softest race car is a little bit harder to hang on to. The stiffer cars are not super stiff, but medium stiff are typically more yeah. comfortable to drive, but still a little slower. 
really stiff is hard to drive and slow. Yeah, and they, they cuz they're because they're snappy. They yeah. they they suddenly understeer, they flat flat slide, they, they snap oversteer. The they kill the tires. And <laughs> yeah. like that car can be decent for let's say a qualifying lap if it's yeah. not crazy stiff, yeah. but you might go a little stiffer in qualifying yes. knowing this is going to kill the tires, but for a flyer, this is not bad. Yeah. You know, so you do things well, like that. Every car, every car handles better on new tires, by the way. They, exactly. <laughs> it just depends on the tire. <laughs> it depends on the tire for how long that moment is. Back in the Continental days, it was about half a lap. In the Michelin days, you yes. can get you can get a lap out of yes. you know in that at that peak. And and by the way, that's one of the things I learned from the Ganassi boys because I've learned I've worked with a lot of really great people over yeah. the years, and, and I thought I knew a lot about car engineering when I got to those guys, and I and I think I did. You knew me before that. Yeah. Uh, but they do all their practicing on used tires. Which I thought was really interesting. I mean, they'll put new tires on once in a yeah. while, but but they'll spend a lot of time on old tires because, yeah, you put new tires on a car, it always goes fast. Our competitors are constantly stickering up, putting new tires on, right. going out, and we would spend like half an hour every session on old tires because when you win a race is when the tires the are tires old. are old at the end <laughs> right. of the race, which is where you're going to try and attack. Like that's when right. that's, that's when, when you have the, to have a good car. That's when the competitors are most vulnerable. The t yeah. the drivers are tired. The the tires are are wrecked. Yep. Uh, and you know, and that's that's you know, if you can be strong yeah. at the end, it's no. a really it's a really good thing. So you need the car to come to you yeah. at the end of the race, exactly. And it's gonna not have perfect balance at the beginning of the race, and that's okay. Yeah, because a new car with not great balance is still fast. Yeah, it might be fourth or fifth instead of first or second, but it doesn't matter because the first and second place cars are gonna drive their tires off the car, yeah. and you're gonna wind up passing before the end of the race so anyway. This, yeah. <sighs> so what I tell people a lot when I'm describing this is I'll say to win to win races. You want to do the same lap times as the other guys, but you want to be a little bit more efficient at it. So you're yeah. using a little less fuel and a little yeah. less tires, yeah. and then the race does come to you. It does because they're gonna they're if they run their tires out in 25 laps and you go 35 or 30, um, that's your time to shine, right? Yes. And and it's easy then, and it's it's kind of that I don't know I think the sort of the macho maybe attitude or the bravado or the ego that that drives us just towards simply lap time, like a qualifying lap time. Yep. And, and it's like that, actually, just watching the qualifying from Monza, and Ferrari is on pole, uh, Max is second, and Max is not worried. No. He's not because worried. he's got a good long run car. That and car Ferrari has a good is short run so car easy on the tires. Because their engineer, yeah. technical director, Adrian Newley, is the best in the business. Yes. And uh, he knows how to make a good long run car, and that's the secret to winning races. Exactly, and so it's it's not it's not about outright speed, and it's not it's certainly not about how stiff you can make your suspension. No, nope. and it's like you said, it's a balanced overall package. So, yes. the ba the balance is compliance, right? As mm -hmm. far as like when we're talking about suspension and how it works the tires, uh, and that's what you were alluding to when you were talking about as soft as you can get it. It's kind of like you're running the car as soft as you can and still keep the tire square to the road surface. And as long as it has good characteristics while it's soft, you can get a soft car that just has bad characteristics because yeah. it's too soft. And, and you know, so you want to have a car that has, you know, good entry stability and, and will yeah. carve to the center of the corner. Carve. Down power. Okay, so how long uh, were we in before the word carving was mentioned? Oh, sorry, it's that's, a, that's our, a Steve Dynan well, thing. It's one of our favorite words. <laughs> Me being like a skier like and a ski racer. Skis, yeah, yeah and I've never skied, but I like the term yeah. carving. Well, that's what, you know, we right next to the offices here are head skis. And head skis is actually one of the most storied, you know, best ski brands in the world. And he's like, I'm in front of this head. I don't know. I'm like, that's head skis, man. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I knew who it was. I, I'm not a skier. But no, I mean, I, look, what makes a really good race car is a car that when you come into a corner, the back end stays underneath it when you load up the front end. Because when, when you trail brake on the way in, trying to brake as deep as possible, and you 
in the racing term we call it pinning the nose, where the nose right. is down and you have a lot of pitch in the car. Aerodynamics on the modern cars they have so much splitter yeah. on wing on a formula car that they have a tendency to have an uh, entry oversteer when the front end is pinned. Right. Okay. And if you can negate that so the guy can brake later and stay in the brakes longer and carry more speed in the corner, he's going to be able to pass me. Yeah, yeah. But then when you come off the brake, the car has to be dead neutral and absolutely maybe a microscopic amount of understeer so you can tell it's actually not going to oversteer. Right. But you need to be able to so carve you can get to the, the power. center of the yeah. apex and square the carpet and get in the power early. Yeah. But then also when you get in the power early, you can't have the car step out in the back end or even understeer. You have to be able to go to wide open throttle as soon as you get to the apex or hopefully before. And have from the, the, car from have the highest minimum speed possible, hence the carving. Right. But when you go to wide open throttle, you have to have a little bit of understeer, but not so much so you can stay on the throttle and not have to lift. If it understeers, you have to lift because it's pushing the nose. That's right. Or if it oversteers, you're killing the rear tires yeah. and it's oversteering, you have to lift. You need to be able to stay what and have the car steer into you. You want the, you want the car to wide actually... Wide open throttle. Yeah, what? I'm sorry. W-O-T. <laughs> you actually want the understeer to slightly diminish when you go to what compared to yes. corner entry. Yes. So the car can be wide open throttle off the corner and still stay balanced and have the car stay underneath you. That's hard to do because as the tires deteriorate, Yes. The back end wants to get freer and freer yes. and freer, right? Because you're, you're slowly on each of those power down moments, yes. you're slowly degrading that rear tire. Yes. And so that's, that's the, the game you're playing, trying to get that yes. phase lasting until the end of the race. So yes. the thing hasn't gone. Or, or simply, as I mentioned, just a little bit better than the other guy's degradation yes. that they're getting. And also how you get the, the balance of the car. I've seen hundreds of engineers uh, in Two of them actually even work for me as assistant engineers. I always want to take the end of the car that is working well and hurt it. Oh, because I I, say, I just uh, I just had a tear. I know, but, but you have no, a car that never steers. They always want to stiffen up the back of the car no. to get rid of the understeer. And I go, no, no. We We're take the end of the, the car, car that doesn't work, <laughs> yeah. and we make that end better. And we don't make the end that's working and make it worse. Uh, so, so yes, we want to bounce bike, but I've done it too, by the way. Yeah. It, the race, a, it's a last step. Yes, like if, if you if, don't have time to fix it. Right. If the race yeah. is going to start and you've worked all yes. weekend to yes. try and get the balance you want, and you can't get it in the end. Balance is honestly worth more than ultimate grip from a driver's standpoint yes. because he can use the car if he, if he has skills. Yes. Um, and that's a hard thing to understand. As a race engineer, you always want to give the person more grip. But if the car is not balanced, he can't drive the car fast. And so you have to give the driver what he needs to be effective yes. if, if he has skills. Uh, but, yes, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to get there every time. So sometimes you have to hurt the good end to get there. But I try and do it. It always hurts you to do that. <laughs> a year out of 10 yes. races. Of, I, I so... I can get there most of the time. I love that it. process. Let's talk about that for a second because it's pretty cool, actually. So, so what will happen is, is like I'm, I'm driver guy. He's engineer guy, right? And, and the car is perfect. Never. And, well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying it is. It's the okay. Let's put it this way. It's the be, it's best. That, it's the best it's ever been. Or right, what Jeff and Tyler say to me when I was working with them yeah. in 19 and 20. Steve, sit in your hands. Yeah, because they love it. But because because they, when they really like the car, yeah, I yeah, always yeah. want to keep... I know I can make it better. I know. I know. Right? So they go, Steve, sit on your hands. Yes. You know, that's, that's a clue for me to say, it's not going to get any better than this, or if it is, it probably isn't going to get any better than this. Please don't mess it up. Yeah. Well, it, that's, the, <laughs> that's the thing. So so there we have trust issues. That's basically the thing. So the, the, whole, the whole part about that is, is like, yeah, when you get they a good... They trust me. They just know me. Well, exactly. <laughs> but the, the thing is, is like there's this period in between. That, so there's a ratcheting up of grip on the car. Yes. That that ratcheting up of grip is never both ends together. Never. Okay, so that's what it is, yes. right? That's what it is. So, so that's what I was trying to describe. So you, the car is the best it's ever been. So Steve, sit on your hands. 
Steve never does that. No. So Steve's head, he might be sitting on his hands, but we can't do anything about his head. And so his brain is going at 9,000 miles per hour, and he's already figured out how to find a little bit extra grip. Now, that little extra grip might be in the rear, it might be in the front, it might, therefore, might cause understeer, it might cause oversteer, right? And, and he's going to ask you to go out in a practice session and just confirm that there's more grip, that yes, the car does now understeer. Yes. And as a driver, you're like, you wrecked it, man. Yeah. Like, it was perfect. And... But already in Steve's head is how to get the front grip back. Yes. And so what, he's, so what you end up doing is this little ratcheting of grip, right? And the goal in a race car, because it seems like to me, and maybe in F1 it's different, or maybe in NASCAR it's different, but kind of in all the stuff I've been able to rate, it's like, Car's you're all, well, you always want front grip, and you can always balance it out in the rear. Like, yes. you, you just, so, so the rear, you're kind of always Depends like... on the car. A lot of cars, you can add <laughs> rear grip. I mean, generally, like, I know, like, maybe that, was it the Audi? Was that the one yeah, that was... Audi had a massive oversteer. Yes, see, so, R8, and so that's was, kind of an it, exception. Both aerodynamic and mechanical oversteer. But that's that's and, not that typical. Like, typically, mm. you'll you'll bump into understeer as being the... No, but it's, this is how they built the race car. Yeah, 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 Audi, but I'm saying it's and, not typical. No, it's not typical. It's not typical. No. So that's why I'm saying I'm, I'm speaking in generalities, and I'm, I kind of stick to it, that I know that there are exceptions to every rule, but, but generally... Like when you have a nicely balanced car and then someone goes and finds, you know, rear grip and makes understeer, you're almost tempted to say, can you reduce it? Right. But the right answer is, right. I'm not going to reduce it, right. but I'm going to fix your balance problem. Every driver, when you unbalance the car by adding grip to one of the car, asks you to take it out because they like the car better before. That's it. But that doesn't mean if you rebalance the car with the extra grip, it won't be faster still. Trust the process. Right. Have to trust the process. Trust the and process. By the way, we know where we were, so we can always go back. Yeah. Right? If, if the race is going to start and we can't find the grip we need to on the car to balance. So we can always hurt the end of the car. Yeah, we can, we can always, we can always put By the way, back. Lamborghini was, was essentially the same chassis, but it even had more nose on it because they had that big slope front end. We had, we raced Lamborghini Huracan last yes, year yes. in GTD. Mm -hmm. um, and it has that big slope nose. It has even more front end than the Audi. Um, so it had a massive uh, oversteer, mostly aerodynamic all the time as well. Um, and I took me halfway through the first season with the Audi to beat it out of the car. Yeah. And every there was So where four, there was, how did you beat it out of the car? There was four well, go, there's four other Audis out there racing. We had the fastest Audi by a second a lap and we won the championship in 19 and came back and almost won in 2020 and finished second. Um, I tuned it like a prototype car and a lot of people running GT cars have never done Formula cars or prototype cars. But prototype cars have uh, very slopey front ends big splitters, big dive planes, they yeah. have a lot of front end. Yes. Um, and, and so we do a thing where you take bump rubbers and you put them on the shocks or you have a little plastic disc you snap in there called packers. And the, and the bump rubber is a progressive spring. Yeah. So you always wind up with one spring rate that's too stiff and one that's too soft. And you also have a problem where we, you have to control the pitch, the nose of the car to go down because when that when that if you stick your hand out of the window as a kid and go like this, yeah. the wind blows your hair your hand down. When the car is pitched down, the the whole top surface of the car, as well as the splitter in the nose of the car, adds traction to the front. So of the un car. under braking. Under braking, when yeah. you're in a corner, you always get a COT center pressure shift yep, to, forward. The, to the nose of the yep. car, which makes the car oversteer. So what you do with the bump rubber and the packers, you tune it so the front and won't go down so much. And the bump rubber isn't touching when you're accelerating. It's touching a little bit when you're in the corner, but when you're braking, it's touching a lot. So you can tune the corner entry stability with the bumper. Independently, Independently basically. of the rest of the car. We would change the Packer gaps on the Lamborghini Audi in half millimeter increments, which is 20 thousandths of an inch if nobody knows metric. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the people didn't, the bump rubbers, they use them as crash barriers, which is what they are at a street right. car, and they're not using them. And I'm tuning it like it's a 
prototype car. Right, uh, like a super <laughs> high downforce car. I'm tuning like super yeah. high because it had so much more air on the front. Once I got that formula right, um, there was no holding us back. So the, we were, so we the cool thing is, people. is you fix the back by working on the front. That's correct. Just to make that point. Like you yes. said that earlier, yes. I just want to make that point yes. one more time, right? Yes. Like, like you don't yes. and go... This and this is one of the situations where I had to actually hurt yeah. the front of the car because we, we, we spent six test days optimizing rear traction. Went to the shaker rig, shock valving, spring rates, aero, rake, everything we could possibly do to add grip to the back of the car, no matter what we did, the car oversteered. So it's camber, caster, toe, roll centers, like You're not allowed to use roll You can't do anymore. roll centers, that's, which, that's, which would be moving pickup points yeah, yeah. to do that, right? And ride height. Yeah, you ride you can height, rake. At rake, everything you, everything you can yeah. we, do we, we with the underfloor. Really low rake and maximum rear wing just to try and get the car to not oversteer. But in the end, we couldn't. So we just made the front of the car stiffer. Right. But not only that, we had to tune the pitch control. Yeah. We had to tune the angle of attack of the so air a lot of, in the front of the car. And any of that damper as well? A lot of damper, yeah. We run a lot of compression valving in the front yeah. of the car. Um, so that, that particular car, the, the compression valving worked on brake release, uh, and the packer worked in the center of the corner, tuned the center of the right. corner, and then rebound on that car in the front. Everything on that car was in the front of the car. You tuned the whole car with the front of the car, because the rear, we just tuned until it had maximum traction yes. and never touched it. And, yeah. then, and then all the tuning was done at the front of the car because that was the car that had all the power. That's the yeah. end of the car that had all the power. But this, this is all, the, yeah, it's almost the exception to the rule, like I was saying. Most of the, almost all the time you're kind of going the other direction, but it's yeah. just because that, that car is such a sharp front end. No, I mean, the BMW is the opposite. BMW is a, a front engine car. Yeah. Nose heavy. Yeah. Always wants to understeer. Perfect 50 when 50. You, what are you talking about, nose heavy? They're not the new ones. With the <laughs> it's, well, you'd rather have the weight back a little bit anyway, right? right? Yeah, when we used to build my own race cars like that. 1,000 horsepower World Challenge car. It had 54% of weight just yes. in a full tank of gas. My new BMW has 54 front. Yeah. Then that's the way they that's come. And now they're tough. all factory race cars now, and you can't, you can't move the engine. In the old days, we would just cut the firewall out. Yes. To move the engine a foot. Exactly. You know, because uh, the old days, the rules used to be, and I, and I miss the old days, and I'm, I'm whining like an old person. <laughs> the old, old days were better than the new days. 43 years. But in the old days, you built your own race car. Yeah. And they used to give you a set of rules. Well, the car can't be wider than this. It can't be longer than yeah. this. The splitter could stick out 80 millimeters. You could do any die planes or aerodynamics you want below the wheel center line. The wing couldn't be higher than the roof or wider than the car. Did I uh, did I mention my my Pikes Peak rule set in my class? No. It, it has six safety rules. <laughs> okay, there you go. The rest see, is unlimited. See, that's the way racing used to be. And, <laughs> and so we would move. We would pick up. That's the car there. The engine. <laughs> You know, uh, but unfortunately, uh, in the modern world, you now buy a factory race cars. Yeah. They're certified by the FIA. Yeah. They come you're the in way a box. They, you're in a box. They come the way they come. Lots of boxes. You're handicapped, handcuffed to like 50% of the stuff you know how to do yeah. you can't do anymore. Uh, All so, in effect to save money, and it doesn't save any money. Well, it does save money. I mean, racing is cheaper than it's less expensive than it used to be, and it's closer. Right now, yeah. the entire, like in GTD, the entire grid is typically seven tenths of a second to one point five yeah. seconds apart. It is very twenty twenty five cars. In the old days, if you had a really good working car, you could be a second clear of the field if you had to engineer everybody. Like when I first entered SCCA racing and I built my first race car, me and a guy by the name of Dennis Golden out in California. I don't know if you know Dennis. No. Uh, we were in GT three together in SCCA club racing in the San Francisco region. The two of us would lap the entire field, including third place every race. Like we 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 could both drive. Yeah. And we both had good cars. And the rest of the people out there were pretending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now, now that doesn't exist anymore in the BOP world because the cars are all forced to be together. The, 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 and, and if you go too fast, they'll slow you right. down. Right? The frustrating part yeah. about all that is, is 
you know there's things you can do to fix the car that you're not allowed to do. And, of course. And you've spent your entire life learning these skills, and then you can't implement them, which is incredibly frustrating. I remember that with, <laughs> with us with the, the uh, inside racing cars where we were yeah. bending the toe links, yeah. and they told us we were cornering too fast. Yes. It's like your car's pulling too high a G. That's why it's bending. We're like, we'd like for, on safety grounds right. to have a stronger toe link. Can yes. we just have a stronger toe yeah. link? Yeah. We don't need any adjustability. Yeah. We just don't want to bend them because this causes crashes. And their answer was, you're going too fast. Yeah. Your car corners too hard. Yeah, we, we were on the pole at Road America by three quarters of a second. Yeah. And we were five to seven miles an hour down on straight line speed. We did it all in the corners. The, the worst motors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and Tyler put it on the pole. Yeah. And Nico hit the wall. Hit the wall with the bent. Hard because the toe The bent failed. toe link. Yeah. Then they finally one. let us modify it. Yeah. But that's before factory race cars. We still built that race car. Yeah. Now yeah. the car comes from the car company. And literally, yes, the GT4 the car or a GT3, GT3 car right. is a, yes. I mean, give you the dumbest example of it. It was a couple of years ago, we were at Road America again, and it was raining, and, and there was a brand new Camaro. Um, Rob Modell, I think, was driving it. All right. Uh, and the window was fogging up, and they didn't, GM had not built a window defroster into the car. So they took one of those little white blower motors you can buy, yeah. and they, they screwed to the dash and blew air on the dash, and, and IMSA made him remove it because it wasn't homologated. homologated. <laughs> I'm going, so, so, so we're supposed to kill the driver because, and by the way, we're adding weight to the car. We're adding a high rang to the front. It wasn't making the car faster. It was just making it safer. Yeah. They, they made him remove it. But somebody probably protested that, too. It's just so right? That was, was just like, so Was it you? It was not me. <laughs> I like Robin. That wasn't me. <laughs> Yeah, get a Bible, somebody. <laughs> so, anyway, that's kind of cool. So, okay, so good, good handling car. Yes. So good handling car, balanced, right? Yes. So you talked about that. So we talked about power. Let's, let's, let's go back to the Audi for just one second. Okay, so, go. So the main, the main grip advantage. What everybody else did that are racing is they took camber out of the front of the car. They reduced grip in the front of the car. And I didn't want. And since the back of the car had no more grip, I figured the only advantage I was going to get by utilizing the grip in the front. They have a maximum camber rule of three and a half degrees. Right. So I ran the front of three and a half degrees. Everybody else ran two and a half. And I just bump rubbered and packered up the front of the car until it would handle three and a half degrees and still be neutral. So I wound up with like 5% more grip than everybody else racing the same car. Right. And Because I, I was able to balance it. Yep. So that, that sorry, is... Sorry to go, no, go no that's, that, a, that's but good. But that's how I got there. I went to maximum that. negative camber. Right. Then I put bump rubbers and packers in the front and, ma and made maximum rear front spring, minimum rear spring that was allowed in the class. Yes. And I just tuned the whole car around that. It took me like six races to get a good balance in the car, but I got to the point where I, we could change that thing a half a millimeter and one click on the shock and one click on the rebound, and I could make the car almost perfect every weekend in like three tries. Right. And then <sighs> during that whole time, you're, you're still hunting, you know, trying to find efficiencies yes. and find more grip, basically, yeah. right? The other thing I did, too, was I, I really got into asymmetry on the setup, and a lot of people don't like to do that. So because the car oversteered so much, if you if you run uh, NASCAR guys call wedge, yeah, uh, and the road racing guys would call it cross weight, but basically yeah. you run more weight on the inside rear tire and the outside front tire, it prevents the car from turning. Well, if you have a car that turns too much, yeah, this is a great thing. And, and so predominantly <laughs> in that direction of that track, you could fix it. Right, in so that like direction. Road Atlanta, for example, we'd run like 30 pounds of cross weight in the car. So to give you guys an idea of what that is, basically every time a car goes out, or almost just about every time a car goes out, certainly in professional motorsports, yeah. they roll across their scales in their pits. And so they are adjusting the perch height of the spring, basically. Or push rods. Or push rods, yeah, push rods, depending on the suspension design. And so they're able to basically adjust how much weight is on each of the wheels independently. Yes. And so that's what... Steve's talking about here. Yeah. So we would we would run like 30 pounds of crossweight to the direction the track was going, so all the corners of that direction were much faster. But that happens then it oversteers the other way. 
So I would take Canberra out of the other side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. So I'd run there you three go. And a half degrees Which would pick up grip the other way as well. So you're yeah, it would, a it little would have bit. less grip, but it would balance the car, and yeah. I had to have a good balanced car. Yeah, so yeah. I'd run three and a half on the outside front. Two and a half on the inside front, like everybody right. else was running, and 30 pounds across. Yeah. And I was literally two or three miles an hour faster in all the right-hand corners. And there's like typically 75% of the corners go in one direction because that's the direction the track is. Yeah, yeah. There's exception that like Lime Rock is only one left-hand corner. Yes, exactly. You know, uh, even Road America, which looks like a really long track of 14 corners, we used to run 30 pounds across right there and a degree camera split there as well. Um, nobody else was doing it. Everybody's running the car square, and they're right. just taking camera on both sides in the front to balance the car, and they were just giving up so much speed to do it. Right. So just thinking a bit one-dimensionally then. Yeah. 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 Because there were there were ways to do it. Yes. Like I said, and, and you're just throwing away the some corners no. to gain in the majority of the corners. We also figured out a way to put there's a you know the pinch bolt on the on the lock ring mm-hmm. for the spring. We actually would practice getting the right amount of tension on it so it wouldn't slip but you could still put a tool in and move it and we would change the crossway on a pit stop so you'd reach in the wheel and go are we allowed to, are we allowed to talk about this i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but, but, if, but if they get in the car and the car let's say at the end of the first stint the car's a little free yeah or a little tight you'd add or take five pounds do you have out an adjustable roll bar in the car uh, but not inside the car. It's not inside. illegal now, so, too. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. Everything's illegal now. So there's no there's no way for the driver to... Uh, the old, I mean, the old days, we had cocky adjustable sway bars. We yeah. used to be able to slide wickers in the rear wing. Yeah. We had weight jackers on the shock absorbers. Yeah. Yeah. But now everything's fixed, so we would... In the box. The, during the pit stop, we just go, yeah. you know, one flat on how the much, spring how much, collar. How much weight was one turn? Uh, it was one turn. It was one flat. One five so, pounds, so we take our thirty bank at twenty five or thirty. Wow, so that'd be pretty, enough. That's a pretty fine adjustment. That'd be enough to rebalance the car, believe it or not. Five wow. pounds, yeah. And if it didn't work the second time, you want another five pounds the second stop because you always have at least two pit stops. And, and so we would actively ask our guys, "Do you see them in the back window with the big speed hands? Yes, yes, they for sure. Cranking wedge into the car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, and, and they tune spring rubbers too. Uh, we're not allowed to do that. You know, we have to actually tune the collar. They used to have those old little, like little cam devices they'd put between the coils and just yeah, rotate yeah, that's, it that's through. spring rubbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So the spring yeah. Rubber, yeah. yeah, so yeah. the NASCAR boys, because the racers are so long and the cars are 
fundamentally crude are are tuned to the nth degree they probably have more well, they spend so much time oh in the corner God. too right so oh i mean God, you're, yeah. the mid corner phase for them is crazy so it's yeah. like a world yeah. of road atlantic yeah. road america carousels but they're always rubbing on the car the whole race the whole, the race. whole race in yeah. fact some i just, i have a, a new engineers because we're running two cars at indy uh, coming up in two weeks and i hired an old nascar engineer and he told me that they have you know how they have the green white checkered or yeah. it'll go green for three laps. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, ta it takes about seven laps for tire pressures to build the maximum. So they have six sets of tires on the pit wall, pressured up in half a pound increments. And when they determine how many laps are left in the race, one, two, three, four, whatever. Get higher is, pressure the closer to the end kind of thing. Closer to the end, they pick yeah. a set that would get them to the optimal pressure on the last lap. <laughs> so if you have green, white, checkered, you basically have hot tire pressures or two yeah. pounds below when the car leaves the, yeah, the yeah, car starts yeah. the last We're lap. not going to worry so about these getting too high. It's like, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Which I thought was very clever. Now, we're only allowed to have five sets of tires a weekend. And when it yeah. comes to the end of the race, we have one set left. So it's not like we can have so six. So your guy sets. shows up and I got an idea. And you're like, uh, yeah. uh, it's not yeah. going to work. We don't get six sets <laughs> yeah. of tires. So maybe in Formula One, maybe yeah. in NASCAR. But, it's, yeah. That's amazing. That's, the, that's, again, what's so cool about racing is, is uh, optimizing the car and and the racecraft, you know, on, on on the pit wall side of it, like just to try and just get the just wring everything out of this thing yeah. that you can. Like we're like, you know, my analogy with a fighter pilot, you know, or other other sports, like that's the thing about racing that is so cool. It's like yeah. they're they're trying to they're trying to rein you in, but your job is to do the opposite. Well the problem is, is if, find... you, if you've been doing this your whole life you know all the things you could do there's almost always a workaround to get partially what you used to be able exactly. to get without breaking the rules, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the old days we used to have weight checkers. Okay, but we still have spring collars. Right. Yeah, right? Exactly. exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, we, you might have a camera limit, but you don't have to be on the limit. Yeah. Right? And so so you could still tune a car. You just can't tune it as easily as you used to. And you yeah. can't do it on the fly while the car is But the principles like are all there. So you just principles. find the same way to kind of achieve the same outcome, yes. Yes. but with a different within the rules sort of input and, that you and get I the car. And I streetcar suspension the same way, which, you know, one of, one of the things I'm famous for is suspension systems. But even on my streetcars, they ride really nice because I like I, them I, I will vouch for that. And they handle really well because I should Because they're my, not too stiff. No, but I also <laughs> tune my, like my M8 has bump rubbers and packers front right. rear on the streetcar. Nobody tunes bump rubbers and packers on a streetcar, but I come with a recommended packer gap, what you measure when you put the suspension. And if you want to lower the car, because it has threaded collars on it, mm -hmm. You pull packers out. So you, you pull still the, get the, gap. the active standard stock dampers out of the cars? Or, or? No, I'm running electric dampers. So you are running it. Okay. With a threaded collar goes over the top. Oh, cool. With an, with a, an aftermarket bump rubber and packers, change the spring rate. And if you lower the car a half an inch, then you pull a half inch of packer out. If you raise it up, you put a half inch of packer in. We, we send six packers with each shock, each spring, so you can get the same packer gap regardless of the ride height you want. See, this is uh, different than those eBay coilovers. Yeah, no. Look, like I, just look, a bit. And, that, and that's the thing. So the, the important thing, again, to kind of get back to the overall theme here, it's like yes. you can make a great ride and great handling car. You can. And, and actually a race car in its own environment, you want to ride really well. You want to absorb curbs. Yep. You want to be compliant for the tire. You want to be, you want to be gentle on the tire yes. while you're getting lap, extracting lap time yeah. out of the tire, right? Yeah. So, so the, the philosophically, that's the thing, maybe overarching over all of this, that's that most people get really wrong is is like to my joke about the the belt on the alternator it's stiffer is not better no. right yeah stiffer than stock is probably better but without the proper testing and 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 basically philosophy behind it and experience behind all that testing 
you'll you'll generally just make the car worse. Mm -hmm. uh, you might think it's better because it feels stiffer, but to actually make a car that goes faster around a track, has better ride quality on the road, um, all of those things, you can do all those things. Why? Because you're putting on, if you think about like, what's the manufacturer's damper cost? Right, it's yeah. it's a pretty cheap item. Fifteen dollars. Yeah, it's a fifth, right. So we're, we're going to put on some much, yeah. some JRZs or some Olins or some Penskes or yeah. something cool, right? We're going to put some that's that's an engineered product, right? And then you're going to have that product that you're going to put on that car, be tested for that particular car by someone like Steve. And they're by the way, they're not many guys like Steve. That's why <laughs> he's here. And so then you're gonna you're gonna put those things on your car, and your car is actually going to be a lot faster around a racetrack, be much gentler on its tires. And it's going to ride better. And it's, yes. yeah, it's going to sit a little lower, so it's going to look cooler too. And he's going to tell you not to put big, heavy wheels on your car and ruin all of that. Yeah. Right? So those are all the, like the types of things that happen. So let's try summarizing a little bit. And I just, yeah. I just have been. So, so you started out with saying it needs to be a balanced overall package. So yes. we're talking about, we talked about like horsepower to weight. We didn't really talk much about engines. Are you like a, well, are you every, a turbocharger guy or are you an NA guy? Which would you rather have? I mean, I like Natchez Fair Motors and the way yeah. they feel. They're always really fun to drive. Yeah. But you can't beat the turbo. For you power. cannot. Uh, it drives me crazy how I you know. can't. Because everyone likes that whaling engine like that revs to modern, 11 grand. But, but the modern world, all the engines are so restricted anyway. Power-wise, yeah. our streetcars all make twice the power of our race cars That's now, true. Right? So Detuned. And, and, and by those... the way, all the engines are sealed now with RFID tags. So, so power, I mean, I'm sure some people cheat. I don't even... I don't even bother cheating on engines because the amount you could get is so small. You can get a couple seconds a lap out of a chassis. Yeah. You can, you can't add a hundred horsepower car without being obvious. If you're yeah. Supposed to have yeah. A yeah. Well, horsepower. I'm talking about like a street car yeah. too, right? No, so we're talking yeah. about everything. Yeah. I, I once um, I was told by Michelin um, that a ten percent increase in grip around a racetrack is equivalent to doubling the car's horsepower. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's. So he didn't even he didn't even hesitate. There's, there's so much so more think, speed in a car and handling about, there is in power. Think about this: like the tempting thing is to tell all your buddies you've got the highest horsepower car and my car, therefore my car is the fastest car. Yeah. And you know everyone wants to do drag races all the time, and that's fine, right? But yeah. that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a balanced car, which means yes. it goes through corners well, which means it brakes well, which means it rides well, which means yeah. it's enjoyable to drive. Like all of these things are part yes. of that. And so it, it's something to really ponder here where 10% grip, which is like the equivalent of you going from a no-name tire that fits on your rim to going to a pretty nice tire, not even to like a super premium tire. You'll probably gain more than 10% by doing that, yeah. right? That's equivalent to doubling the horsepower of your car. That would cost you how many thousands of dollars yeah. to double your horsepower? A lot. Buy a set of tires for eight hundred to a thousand dollars, whatever they happen to be. Maybe it's more than that if you can afford a really nice car. About three hundred dollars a tire. These yeah, days. yeah. On, on an M8, on an M8, yeah. I'm on a I'm on a different air end of the budget, and yeah, yeah. you know, so I've got seventeen inch wheels still on my car. You know, so they're not. When, when customers come, yeah. what they always do, they always want the most amount of power, like a thousand horsepower, which you can't use or put to the ground. Right. They always want the car as stiff as possible. They want the car as low as possible. All three of those things make the car undrivable and, and yes. poorly balanced. Yes. But yet, Eb, I spend my entire life arguing with my customers, you don't really want a 1,000 horsepower. You don't really want a car half an inch off the ground. You don't really want the car so stiff that it rattles your teeth when you go over a bump. Right. It's going to be slower. Oh, no, you're wrong. I've been on the forums. All my friends say this and that. And then I go to the racetrack for like a track day or something, right, when I'm used to instruct. I take my street car with my air conditioner on and... 
you know, full luxury car rides like a really nice car, and I put three people in the, in the car and I give them a ride, and I laugh to people that are making yes. a thousand horsepower. Exactly. They're a super exactly. stiff car because, because the car is so evil to drive. And they plus, can't it, even hang on a, to it. it does a lap before it overheats. Yeah, overheats. Like it's it's impossible to yes. do. Like, a, I, I mean, you really got to know what you're doing to put even, let's say, even like six or seven hundred horsepower. For like a thirty-minute session, well, time attack cars one lap. One so lap. Tires warm. So one lap. That, you cool the car yeah, so the, I mean, yeah. That's actually that's actually not coincidentally where those people end up if they keep yes. going down yes. that path. Yes. They end up that's with a all time. Good for they end up with a time attack car that can do a lap, and but I've certainly done my car. share of that. That's a horrible car. And, it is. And by the way, I like driving. I know you like driving. Love it. And I like a car that I can go out there if there's an hour session. I like to be able to drive for an hour and have the car not fail. And I also don't want to work on the car. I want to drive the car. You know, and I don't mind working on the car to like adjust the sway bar, or adjust the corner ways, or just tweak on the car, shock clicker, or whatever. But I don't want to spend all day wrenching on the car with a crew just so I can do five or ten laps. I don't think that's fun. no, no. I, I don't it's think not. That's fun. It's not. It's, that that's why I don't autocross and I don't drag race because yeah. the 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 fun factor yeah. is like for seconds. Yes. In a day, <laughs> you're like, yes, but going 320 miles an hour in four seconds would probably be pretty okay. exciting. Okay, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> if you're yeah, talking about 3.2 seconds or 3.3 or whatever the record is, yeah, like 337 or something it's, like it's, that. It's yeah. just insane. It, it is 10,000 horsepower, uh, yeah. whatever it is. I don't yeah, even know more. what it is anymore. At, at, at hydro lock and oh, the whole like the whole thing about yeah. those top fuel motors is yeah. really cool. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. That's yeah, right. and I, I actually I remember this when I came and visited you at your facility in Morgan Hill a long time ago, but um, that was kind of your secret at that time. Steve was winning back to back to back to back championships with Ganassi yeah. in the Daytona prototype yeah. type class where he was putting BMW engines um, in the back of these DP cars for the Ganassi team with Scott Pruitt driving yeah. and and man, oh man, what a run you guys had. Yeah. And I remember you telling me, he, he said, you know, kind of my secret here, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> we Go can ahead. edit this out later. Uh, but it was fr friction and they, I think you said it was two horsepower a month. Yeah, what we they were uh, trying to get, and you used actually, a bunch of drag racing guys. Yeah, actually, it was one horsepower a month. We we worked at the inch for ten years at twenty five thousand dollars a month, so that's three million dollars. <laughs> and we averaged Add it up. We averaged one horsepower a month for ten years. Isn't that think but about that's one hundred twenty horsepower though in a fixed set uh, of rules on a fixed set of rules where you're not allowed to change one anything. horsepower a month. Right. Sometimes it was literally oil viscosity. Sometimes it's chiming tension. I'll, I'll I'll even give you one example, which is mind boggling. Okay. We took the piston and we put, we took the uh, center ring off the piston, which is an oil scraper, okay? Yeah. And it's there so that the car doesn't smoke. Right. And we have a vacuum pump built into the super, into the dry sump. In the dry sump. The vacuum. Yeah. So pull the oil off the piston. Yeah. So that, so that you didn't need the oil scraper. Well, the the oil ring was friction, and then we made the piston shorter, made the rod longer, so the thrust. So the cylinder bore was less because the rod was at a straighter. So angle. it goes up and down easier with it the less thrust. Goes up and down easier. Yep. Then we put a thinner ring on, and we drilled gas ports in the top of the piston so we could tune the pressure to push the ring out to seal against the bores. Okay, and then we took the oil pump and we lapped the side of the oil pump gears that has okay. supercharger lobes in it, so that it would leak. So we didn't have that oil pressure relief valve because you have you know, we have a spring-loaded pressure relief valve, but it takes energy to lift the spring off the seat. So we would lap the lobes so the oil pressure relief valve didn't have to do any work. Like the oil pressure just, I mean, it was still there it just as a backup, bled out. Yeah. but it actually bled out the yeah. extra pressure. And then that reduced the, the, the pumping losses of turning the pump as well. Yeah. Okay. All that together is 22 horsepower. 
on a five liter engine. Wow. Well, that I mean, I okay, was expect, so that's like, I was expecting one horsepower after that, story. but that was that was two or three horsepower. I'm super happy. All, but it, you got to realize how many pieces of that equation. Are. It, how long? How long did that take? I think we spent almost a year on that. That's cool. I mean, that was our that was probably our first year. Was yeah. probably the pistons that, and the rods and the porting and the rings and you and you'd make like four sets. And then and, and that <laughs> that engine because if I remember right, isn't that engine what you ended up putting in your street cars? You had a version of that or that technology? I, I did. In fact, I just did another one last month for a guy in California. I drove one. Historics. Yeah, uh, Z8 probably. No, no. Uh, it was it was in a M5. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and M5. you and I went to MotoGP together. Oh, is that right? And I drove and and it was all superbikes going there. And he's like, "You're not allowed to lose to any of the superbikes on the way <laughs> to the track." He made me drive, and then he made me drive back, and then he told me, "Anyone anyone pulls up, they go down." <laughs> I'm like, "Yes, yes sir." Yeah, but anyway, it was a five-liter engine, and we were required to run um, stock valves and stock cylinder heads and stock bore and stock stroke. And the car, the engine came up 397 horsepower from BMW, and we got that we made 624. That's cool. That's 130 horsepower. Yeah. Um, so it, it took I, us 10 years. So that's to, that's to that's that. the lesson. <laughs> like, no, there's there's no easy answers. No. If, if for anything that you're going to do with your car, there's no. I remember even buying. When we bought that E90 with Insight from the top team that was winning with BMWs, and we're like, we're going to get the car with all the cool stuff on it, right? It's going to be just as fast as your car. And they're like, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then you get the delivered car, and it has nothing on it. Yeah. It sits an inch higher than their cars do. It can't turn a lap time to save its life. And it was a struggle, right, with yeah. that car. And the, yet their cars ripped and were yeah. running races. Yeah. And so you, you, have to, you have to earn this. Um, or you, you go buy this from someone that understands yeah. all of this, and they give you a pack of six different bump rubbers to put in your car, depending on the ride height, then you know that you have some combination that isn't just you know, throwing money down a well or, or lighting it on fire. You're thing. actually going to create a better vehicle. That's the crazy thing, too. Like You can buy a coilover kit for your electric dampers for $1,000, and, yeah. and mine's $1,400. Yeah. And people call me up, and they go, $400? Yeah, I, I spent six months at the racetrack turning pump rubbers and backers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like he's and not, then, you're not getting a tenth of the money back. And I'm going, four hundred dollars is too much. That's for the just car the nature. Work? Yeah. Okay, so it, it, it's a strange. Thing. Well, that's it. It's always going to be like that yeah. because because they're both shiny and anodized on the outside. Well, they don't yeah. appreciate the work that goes into the inside, yeah. you know. And, well, and we can ask you one different thing about to the DP car. They won the championship in 2010, 11, and 12, uh, and then they won the uh, day 24 at Daytona first overall and 11 and 13. And in 13, Ganassi, they, they have their own wind tunnel. Uh, yeah, this is not the, a the, the, uh, the, uh, the old train tunnel. Yeah. yeah, the old train tunnel. It's a cool and, story, go look yeah. it up. And, and the, these guys are a phenomenal organization with incredible engineers. They have like 17 people as smart as me in the building. So, so you're, it's unlikely you're gonna, you're gonna beat them. But anyway, uh, <laughs> th they went to the tunnel, they found uh, two miles an hour in, in straight line speed and aero drag. And just completely legal and stuff. And that's a lot. That's completely. It's, it's that's a, a lot, lot of yeah. And then I had found over the winter twelve horsepower in one shot, which was by the way at Daytona at two hundred miles an hour the prototype car six horsepower is one mile an hour. So that was two mile an hour. That do, that doesn't seem like that much, right? Yeah. But you put two guys four, four miles mile an hour. hour yeah. So we left the parts off the engine and we left the parts off the arrow on the car all the way through the roar and all the practices and installed it for the race. Nice, <laughs> as you do, <laughs> and, and then we just 
crushed them. It was like just, one, two. We could drive by people. At, well, 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 IMSA was so uh, – Grand Am, sorry. Grand Am was so upset that we'd won three <laughs> championships in a row. And I think we'd won like the last six races consecutive as well. Right. Something crazy like that. I think we were in nine in a row total in 2010. They took the entire car for the race and took it back to Charlotte and put it in the, in the NASCAR tech center. And they had my engine guys and the Ganassi crew fly there. And they put us all in a, in, a, in, a la- in a conference room, basically. And when they wanted a part, they'd say, who's the right front shock guy? And he would raise his hand, go take the shock and bring it to us. Who's the motor guy? So, wow. So, so we, Spanish Inquisition. So it was a week. Oh, my God. It was a week. Because they were determined to figure to, out to confirm to, why the, this car was victory. so fast, yeah. right? At the end of the week, the car was legal. We yeah. got to keep the win. There was, there was nothing wrong with the car. They, they did not figure out what I'd done to the engine. So that was... That went Though they house. took it completely apart. They dynoed it and took it completely right. apart. And they had taken the engine seven times the first year, five times the second year, and basically every time you every year. time you win almost. They're, they're, no, but, and yeah, sometimes but, when yeah, you're but, a, I mean, but they just yeah. they just they're they for sure I was doing something we're looking yeah. for, but the, well, we were just doing hard work. Yeah. Right? They thought yeah. there was something yeah. sneaky in there, but it wasn't sneaky, it was just hard work. You hear that hard right? work. Right? <laughs> okay. And, and you can't pen, and you can't rule against hard work. No. And dedication. Well, they, that, that's actually what BOP does now. <laughs> well, that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so it was Smart an entire week. They took the whole you. car apart. They couldn't find anything wrong with the car. They did discover what uh, Ganassi had done with the arrow changes, and they added a rule to the rule book right. for it. I don't want to say what it was, because I signed the NDA, so that's, uh, you know, bad. <laughs> anyway, there's a rule in the rule book that Ganassi got written that year. Someone get Steve a whiskey. <laughs> We're going to get this NDA thing out. That's, I'm, well, I'm that's, a bourbon guy. That's, but yeah. Okay, whatever. We're going to hold you down anyway. It doesn't matter what it is. But, Actually, I mean, they left us here all alone. But they, they would work all year on chassis and aero stuff the entire time I was working on the engine stuff. And you put the two of us together. We were, so, we were so, both so dedicated that, that the executive of B&W, Gordon, um, I don't know if you know Gordon. Remember Gordon? I don't he used, know. He used to come by. Okay. I probably do. No, okay. But I, I knew a bunch Gordon of the BMW. McDonald. Yeah, no. He, he was he was our he was our corporate rep from BMW. Oh, okay. And I was doing all the BOP and all the engines for GT prototype GS and oh yeah. ST. Yeah. So I had all four classes. I had eleven customers. I was doing BMW. Right. Five prototype cars with engines. Uh, and, and, and he would say, I don't want to know what you're doing. <laughs> I don't want to know. You just handle everything, and I'll back you. You're right. <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's like but, but that he, uneasy trust thing. But, but he made the comment, to, I've never Plausible seen a group deniability. of guys, because he was there for three years. Yeah. I've never seen a group of guys all want to win so bad. Scott, Memo, Timmy Keene, who now runs the Action Express yeah. team, and EMSA. Um, Chip himself, all the people back at the company, all the people at my company, everybody was just firing on all cylinders, pulling as hard as you could in the same direction. There was no arguing. There was no animosity. Everybody respected each other. Everybody shared all the information with each other. There was no secrets. Right. You right. know, and and it just works when you do that. Yeah. Because it really is a team effort. Yeah, that's it. Every, and then people don't get that. Everyone's either. rowing in the same direction. Everybody's rowing in the same direction as hard Which as you possibly can. Which is not super common. No, and it was there's, funny there's a lot of dysfunction guys, in motorsports too. My guys sometimes we'd go a couple of months without finding something, and I'd say, "All right, we're working Saturday and Sunday for the next month." And they go, "But Steve, I want to go for a picnic. I my wife, you know, whatever." I said, "I have to have my appendix Chip, out." No, Chip, you don't. Chip, Chip, Chip was the same way. You know, he says, "Look, I'm giving the resources to win. I expect to win. I expect to get." That's it. And 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 it takes what it takes. Yeah. And and if you're not willing to be that person to put in that extra time, that extra work, then you're in the wrong job. You should get an eight to eight to five job, right? right? Because racing is not an eight to five no, job. No, no, no. <laughs> 
No, I mean it's it's performance based. It's a meritocracy. You've got to you, if you're not knocking it out of the park, so they'll the find something. Things that still is. I know, and, it, and that's, war. that's what that's what's great about it. There's a purity to that that's lovely. It's you know there are politics in motorsports, but yeah. and but it's at the end of the day, it's about winning and not winning. Yes, and um, and that there's a purity to that that we all love. I think that's what what we're that's what I love is. about. Look, everything else in life is an opinion. And it, and, you, it, and by the way, it's like one one turn of something at a time to yes. get to that one flat, one sixth of a turn. one sixth of a turn. <laughs> a turn. And see that, see that, and that's that's the cool part about that because that's really you you. That's what you yeah. love. Yes, is is that is that that tuning of the car and taking. A platform that you know, like you. How did you put it? Say it again. Like a race car is doesn't handle well. How did how did you say it earlier? <laughs> well, yeah, you were like well, you say they all handle badly. They're oh, just less they all badly. handling badly. It's just the good ones handle badly at a higher speed. <laughs> there we go. That was it. So, and then, I mean, like I said, that's kind of the, okay. Because that you know when he says that it's like job security. <laughs> if, if he would, he's like not necessary if that weren't true, right? <laughs> like I also, I also do three, four, five changes at a time. You, you, you do, that. do that, yeah. Too. And, and that's a lot something of people, that freaks people out too, by the way. Yeah, and, but, I, and I, you're the only guy I trust to do that. To be honest, yeah. I, I've all do, the really good engineers do because honestly, yeah. if you make one change, and this is what people don't understand, if you make one change, you're actually making more than one. Yeah. So, give you an example of that. Okay, uh, anti roll bar unloads the inside tire to reduce roll. Spring pushes it down. If you soften the spring rate, okay, you're unloading the inside tire, not just softening the spring rate. Yeah, yeah. Okay? It's all so, relative. So in order to, or to keep that relationship the same, you have to soften the bar the same percentage you stop the spring. So you're not changing the spring bar relationship. You're just making the back of the car softer or stiffer. Unless your intent is to change the relationship. Right. That changes different parts yeah. of the corner. But the point is, sometimes I want to make a change that only changed one thing. And if I make the one change, it actually affects other parts of the corner. So I'll make two or three changes at once. To negate the effect in other parts of the corner, so I'm only getting the chains that I want. Yes. Okay, and that's yeah. that's why it's that's that's what makes it so much fun. So it's so complex. It's it's so <laughs> and, and so. Let me ask you this then: you do you picture the whole car in your head when you're thinking like this? Yes. So you see you see the entire car. So when you, as soon as you like, you could you we could do a crazy animation for this. You know, yes. if we hired some some guy to go. It's a cool what, graphics. It would be kind of fun, right? It would be. So it's like you do your one six. Yes. turn right yes. of, of, of the flat and boom yes. and and you in your head you see that go across the whole car instantly yes. like these are the and effects I even get on the radio and tell the driver all right it's going to be yes. tired to the left and looser, uh, looser this is what i wanted to, to right, get to looser to the left this is what i wanted yeah. to get to because that's, that's okay it's still going to be faster that's right <laughs> see because i've had these conversations on the fly with steve and i was hoping we would land right exactly here because yeah. this is the cool part so, so we're going to do part two of this, and we're going to talk about the driver in all of this, yes. right? And, and we, so we've kind of run through the car. And so sort of summarizing it, the car is, is, yes, it's the sum of its parts. It's a very, very complex tool relative to really anything else that you could go and try and do in any other sport, in any other venture. And, and because it's super complex, then that you need a guy that can tune all of this. And that tuning comes down to literally hundreds of parts of the car that affect the handling of the vehicle. And, and then, you know, on top of all that, you're buying basically a factory car in a lot of cases. If you, if you weren't buying a GT4 or a GT3 car, you might be building your own road cage. Maybe it's for Pikes Peak or maybe it's for club racing or whatever it happens to be. And then, you know, you want a nice stiff chassis. You want good suspension geometry, the kinematics, right? How the suspension moves and works. The roll centers of the car. So it uses the tire efficiently. You know, all those things are really fundamental and really important. And as I kept kind of sneaking in there, 
You also want it to be as light as you can possibly make it because Every the more part, mass, not just the whole, the part, more mass you have part. to accelerate, break, and corner. Right? It, it's that's just you're just hemorrhaging time and you're losing efficiency and through that, that. That reminds me of a really great story about Ganassi because they were firm believers in every single detail, right? They would do things like they wouldn't repair the car with Bondo. They'd, they'd replace the panel and then sand it till all the, all the seams were straight and everything was square. We had a shift lever break. This is a funny story. In 2011, while leading the 24 hours at Daytona, I think it was 11, we had a shift lever break. It was a Riley part on the prototype car. Right. And they ran and got the spare shift lever and plugged it in the car. It turns out it has a, a strain gauge on it, so it cuts the power when you pull, so manual sequential. Uh, it was The wiring harness on the shift lever was different than the other one, so the shift cut wouldn't work. So I think Dixon was in the car, and Dixon, right. Dixon's amazing, and so he's lifting himself and just kind of yeah, baby it. Yeah. And my, my tech support guy, Christian Mansu, which is now uh, Dixon's uh, support engineer for HPD in IndyCar racing, so he's still around, amazing. great guy. Yeah. Um, he rewired a jumper wire between the shift lever and the main wow. harness in the pit lane in 10 laps. And the next pit stop, we put the jumper wire in and it went back to working again and went and won the race. Uh, <laughs> But That's anyway, cool. the, where the story is headed is when they made the new shift lever, they made it lighter. They just didn't buy another one and replace it. Right. They, they took four ounces out of it. I go, four ounces? They go, Steve? Yeah. Four ounces. Four ounces out of 100 places is 40 ounces. Yeah, there you go. There, there we go again. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so. One thousand, one thousandths of a second. <laughs> right, yeah so, yeah. so they were firm believers in all that stuff. And, the, and again, that's, that's a lot of extra. Most people just go buy the part. Yeah. It's cheap and easy. Uh, they, they literally have their own fabrication parts. So do I. And they fabricate your own. We always fabricate all of our own parts. Uh, unfortunately, in the modern world of BLP, you can't do that anymore. You have to run yeah, the part. Yeah, you have to run the they homologated have a part. Run the part. You run the homologated part. Yeah. Even if you hate the homologated part, you have to run you have the to run it. Part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that so we, end, we kind of end up, I think, in a pretty good place there. You know, just talking about the car again. Um, we want it. We want it to be balanced. We want it to be drivable, which is what we're going to really talk about next. Um, we want it to be as light as possible. Yep. It, it's nice that it's easy to work on. It's nice that it's easy yeah. to tune. Um, all Actually, those things are good, and it's up. nice that it's simple, yeah. right? Like it's not a complicated car, which yeah. is like when we talk. About, I talk about like track days with people, and they, they want to take their road car and make it into a track car. And it's like road cars don't make great track cars inherently because they're they're too heavy, they're too hard to work on. They they chew th and because they're heavy, they chew through consumables. So your brakes and your fuel and your tires and and um, all of those things, you're going to spend incredible amounts of money versus. If that car weighed a thousand pounds less, you know, was the equivalent, yeah. that kind of thing. So, so think in that way. Like you want something, we want something very light, very workable, very simple. Yeah. Um, I, I'll give you like a good example. There's a guy, Duncan Cropar, who, who showed up at Pikes Peak from England this year. English guy shipped his car over. He had a Lotus Seven that made 400 horsepower of the wheels, but it was dialed. Like he did, he did work. He he driven that car forever. In, in the UK, and he just pops up in a car that was road legal, and he runs under a 10-minute run at Pikes Peak, which is really fast. Yeah. He'd never been there before. But it's a load of seven, but it was stiff enough with the cage, yeah. the car weighed nothing, and the engine was proven. Yeah. It was a simple car, and he went faster than a lot of, he went faster than me because my car broke. Um, but he went faster than a lot of cars that had a lot more money dumped into him yeah. because it was I just a simple, well-driven car. So that's it. 
I think a, like a great place to leave it on if there's yeah, anything you I want agree, to add no, to I that. I agree with your point completely. I have customers all the time want to make a thousand horsepower and all this stuff we're talking about in the streetcar, and then they just ruin the streetcar so you can't drive it anymore. Yeah. And the car's just broken all the yeah, time. Yeah, it, it was and a it, beautiful streetcar. And it's so easy to make too much power these days, and all the cars are so heavy and so powerful, they all destroy the brakes and they kill the engine, the gearbox, and the differential, and everything else. So you spend your entire life working in the car to do five or ten laps. Exactly. You're better off making that car a really nice streetcar, like my MA Comp, yep. which you can enjoy every day and yep. drive to work, and it's comfortable and quiet and smooth and still goes really fast on country roads which is fun too i like doing that uh but then then you go out and buy a used gt4 car which you can get for like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. but you're going to spend more than that modifying your street car right. anyway and it's a robust car that's made to be a race car that has a full racing cage it's safer yeah and you has all there, the electronics in it you can drive it all day right? long have tons of fun learn yep. how to drive uh yes it only makes 450 horsepower but it does lap time. They're, they're good to all drive. All day. GT4 cars really are actually fun. really good to drive. Really fun. Yeah, they're really fun. Really fun. So let's, let's leave it at that for episode one, um, talking about the car. So I think we went over. No, we're good. We had an hour, <laughs> we had an hour and a half. I think we're good. Oh, do we? Okay. Yeah, we're good. We're, we're really good. We can keep talking. Okay. This all day. give us more time to talk about the driver. So, so what we want to do now is we want to put it all together because that's the thing, right? It's, it's a package deal. Cars don't drive themselves. God. We should do a slate and take a bathroom break. Since we're we're going to do that. Right, we're going to do all that. And then, yeah, then we're going we're to talk about this whole driver thing and then this interaction, which is the magic, right? It's the interaction of man and yep. machine. Driver plus car equals yep. one. And why data doesn't answer all the questions. Yeah. So, so we're going <laughs> to chat about all that coming up. So thanks for hanging in there if you did. I'm really, really, really happy to have Steve, a dear friend, but an absolute wizard uh, with car engineering setup. And as we're about to talk about in part two, also driving. So thanks for sticking in there. We'll see you next time on the Optimum Drive presented by TFL Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.